It was this time last year The rug was pulled out I stumbled and fell Now I don't know what's real Here I go Again I'm stuck in my bed Here I go Again Get me out of my Left me hanging After all that I'd done It just goes to show This is Left of the Dial. I'm your host, Kitsy, and with me, as always, is the unfuckwithable Caleb Coy. <laughs> Don't fuck with me. <laughs> Caleb, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing... I, uh, I'm, I'm holding on to my sense of self. Uh, I, I'm still alive, and I'm grateful every day. And you got your dog. <laughs> got my dog. What more do you need, right? Exactly. All right. So this week we have a very special guest with us. We have uh, the wonderful Jeremy Birkin from Lost and Found Touring and uh, the musical project Shay. Jeremy, how are you? I'm good. How are y'all doing? Doing great. Thank you so much for being on our uh, podcast this week. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much for having me and for uh, giving me something to do. It's very nice to have something to do. Absolutely. <laughs> so important. So yeah. important to stay busy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep busy these days. Uh, so, Jeremy, we just heard one of the songs from your new project. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so uh, I honestly kind of surprised myself with this project. I didn't really know that I would be writing songs again, but I just kind of fell back into it uh, last year, uh, just going through some stuff, as one do- mm-hmm. like does as a songwriter. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I, I just kind of started writing a bunch of songs and recorded a few demos. And this year, I put the band together, but we hadn't really gotten in the studio yet. And all of us are in other projects, so we were just busy a lot. And I run Lost and Found pretty much full-time at this point. So That's awesome. that keeps me pretty busy. I mean, right now, we can't um, book shows at the moment, but we'll get there. <laughs> um but yeah, I uh, I started Shay 
right before the COVID-19 outbreak and recorded and released a few demos. Uh, and the first song that we just heard is called Houston, uh, which I wrote. That was probably the first song I wrote once I revisited the guitar um, after like putting it down for like probably two solid years other than like I was writing some stuff with M, but I hadn't like really sat down to write my own music uh, in a long time. And it was kind of like the first year I was working in the music industry too. So I kind of like was focused on that and not really feeling like I had space in my life for my own project. Unfortunately, Um, I'm very much a person who like puts other people before myself and like what I uh, need just to kind of like help people and get my work done, you know? Uh, but yeah, I'm really happy with how that song came out, Houston, and it's really fun, full band. Uh, the subject matter is pretty tough for me. All of the subject matter is pretty tough for me, uh, still. Uh, but like, I, this one was about like a band breakup and it was tough. Um, Mm. but like, you know, uh, shit happens and I, I don't know. I feel like those are kind of lessons for us to like move forward and like, you know, you gotta have those tour tour experiences to like figure out how to do it the right way, you know? Um, but yeah, that's what that song's about. And yeah, (laughs) I'm going to stop there. that's, That's great. Thank you. So, uh, you mentioned that, um, you, you played your first show there right before, uh, the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, what's, you know, the, the, the reason we really wanted to have you on the podcast this week was to talk about how COVID-19 has been affecting the music industry. Cause you know, uh, you're as not just a musician, but you also, uh, are a booking agent for a lot of, you know, bands that aren't, uh, you know, aren't on major labels, aren't on, you know, they're, they're kind of struggling to, to keep things together uh, on a good day. And, uh, as most musicians are, and, but now it's, things are just real bad. So, um, yeah. can you talk a little bit from your perspective about how this has been affecting the music industry as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's definitely pretty early to tell how this is going to affect things in a, in a real way, just because, there's so much misinformation about this thing and yeah. uh, anyone who lives in the United States of America during this administration understands how hard it is to know what is real. Um, and a lot of us have taken it upon ourselves in the last four years to figure that out and take action. And I think that's what's happening now, which is good. It scares me that it has come down to the individual, but like, there's not really much we can do other than look out for ourselves and each other right now. Um, but yeah, it's definitely on a big scale in the music industry. It's hard to tell. Like I, I know I'm sure since y'all are in it as well, like you've seen the articles and stuff. Like I, I'm not sure if y'all saw the stereo gum article, uh, at the top of this week. Uh, did you see that one, Kitsy? Uh, I did not. Caleb, did you see that? I see you're, you're Googling, so I feel like you're yeah, looking I'm, at it right now. <laughs> I'm looking now. because Okay, I don't want to dwell on this because I fully feel that it is too early to tell. Um, the decisions that are being made 
every day in Washington are deciding how this is going to unfold and how long it's actually going to last. Yeah. Um, today, I saw that they are attempting to reopen the economy in some form by May 1st. Um, which is the scariest thing I could have possibly read today. Yep. Um, and yeah, so I, ha- as a booking agent, have found it hard to book tours, let alone <laughs> announce tours and put them on sale. And it's really hard because there's a lot of amazing tour packages that are up this year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are like close friends of mine and like, I feel for them because I understand what's happening and like what's happening is we have a music industry that is completely reliant on the touring industry because so much of the revenue has been divided up by like the labels and uh, the bigger corporations in the music industry like Spotify and Uh, all the money is at the top, like anything else in capitalism, Mm. you know, like, so it's, it's a big blow when the main portion of your paycheck has been completely removed. It's off the table. You cannot tour. Like you can't stand in a room with 10 people, let alone stand in a room with 300 people uh, at a show, you know? Um, and it sucks. And like, I'm very like, I I've been, I've had, I've been forced to be a realist about it because it's my job, you know? Um, and I have to look six months into the future at all times in order to do my job well and schedule those tours and make sure that they're taken care of. Um, like that the artists are taken care of, um, but it's been hard to plan because everything's so uncertain right now. So we at lost and found have honestly just been <clears throat> kind of on pause and have been touching base with our artists all the time. And like for me as like the co-founder and like, I will say acting CEO because I don't know if I can do that long term. <laughs> like I'm still 25. I'm like, I want to go on tour. <laughs> um, which is basically why I had to quit the corporate job to begin with. Right on. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, I'm curious cause uh, I've seen a lot of, uh, people, uh, trying to do some creative uh, adaptations since, you know, you, like you said, you can't go out and play a show. You can't even be in a room with a bunch of people. Realistically, you shouldn't even have people over at your house. Like, there's, uh, like, genuine restrictions to keep us all safe. But, like, you know, musicians are going to musician. Uh, so that people are, you know, trying to find ways. So I've you know, seen uh, kind of a, an uptick in people doing live streams. In fact, uh, I think my brother's doing one right now. He uh, is. Oddly enough. And <laughs> um, there was, uh, I, I live here in uh, St. Louis, and I think it was last week uh, somebody did a, like, um, I forget how they, it was like social distancing concert or something like that. So they just like went and played in front of a restaurant where they normally would have played like a patio (laughs) show or whatever and just asked people to like, you know, watch as they walk by and just, you know, not get any closer than six feet if they want to stand around and watch. Uh, And so I'm curious if you've seen any of that in your local scene or like with the bands that you work with, if you've uh, organized anything like that or considered any of those options to, to help people stay busy and get those creative outlets right now. 
to be honest, we haven't really engaged with that too much yet. Um, I actually threw my first Instagram live show yesterday. Nice. Uh, and it was, it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. And like, I want to do more. Um, I don't know if I want to do them all on Instagram. I've been kind of figuring out, like I've been starting to think about, it's literally been in the last 24 hours because, uh, the three weeks prior to that, I couldn't even think about booking a show. If you tried to get me to thinking about booking a show, because I was just, we were devastated. Yeah, I was yeah. on tour when this happened. Like a lot of people I would, were like, yeah. I, I remember like so many of my friends and bands that I know had just <sighs> left for tour when like two, three days into tour and had to completely turn everything around and come home. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah. I yeah. was on tour with hit like a girl in short fictions. We canceled and turned around like, yeah. cause we were wild. We were like, we want to just go. Like we already <laughs> operate outside of official South by Southwest. And like, to be honest, like at the time, because of like how we are receiving information in this country, it kind of felt to me like it was like distraction from like the election or something, which I like mm-hmm. feel bad about feeling that. But in that moment at that time, that's kind of what I felt and, mm-hmm. like, I also was definitely, like, blinded by, like, I want, we all wanted to go on tour. We all had been indoors for th- three months in the winter, like, working really hard on these tours. Like, we booked a showcase. We had four artists touring down and back. Like, we were working on that for, like, six months plus. And, like, Rough. we were literally that day that I played the first Shea gig was March 6th. And the first day of the tour was March 7th. Like the next day I left for tour. So we got the official news that South by was canceling at 5 PM the night before I was supposed to get on a bus to go to Pittsburgh, Damn. which I missed and drove to Pittsburgh. Cause I'm insane. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really wanted to go on tour, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that had to be such a hard decision to make because you know, like you said, you spend so much time booking the tour. You're getting excited for the tour. People are getting time off work, uh, saving up money to fund the tour. Yeah. And then, you know, j- just like I-, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, like just getting to that first day of the tour is such a financial commitment between, you know, sometimes vans have to be rented. You've got to bring people from you yeah. know, different places in the country. The and pull so, from Hill Like a Girl puts so much money into the van right before we left. Yeah. Like, you have to. You have, you have to. to make sure it is safe for the people that you are going to be providing transportation for, for, mm-hmm. like, three weeks, you yeah. know? And then to get, like, three days into the tour and have to make that decision of, like, do we keep going or do we cancel? Because, yeah. you know, canceling obviously means a huge financial hit for everyone involved. And yeah. you want to keep going because it's the only way to make money. But yeah, uh, you but, know. but it, it that's what it ultimately came down to. It was a day by day evaluation of like weighing the pros and cons. It was like, yeah, the only way we're going to make anything is if we play these shows. But the shows were tough. Yeah, they were. Have you ever toured to South by? Uh, never toured to South by, but have done plenty okay. of touring otherwise. So just like. Think about it like on a bigger scale. Think about like how many bands go to Austin for South by every year. Like all mm-hmm. of them do, basically. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, so basically, from a, a booking perspective, you have every single band trying to book a three to four week tour 
based around the same two week window in Austin. So every band, like think about how many bands from New York city are headed down at the exact same time. They're going to be hitting Philly and Jersey and DC the same days as everyone else, because anyone who's just booking a tour on their own is going to just route it based on like common sense and how long the drives are. So that's just going to happen. So just the amount of work that goes into us booking South by like for our own bands and being people who book tours for our job. And also I will say, um, this also has been extremely, uh, tough for us at lost and found because like, I don't know if you've looked at our website recently, but we've expanded the team. Mm -hmm. It's not just me anymore. Um, and South by was going to kind of be like, that was our first like team effort. Like I was doing like M and I started the company together, but M never had any interest in booking. So as soon as the primary focus became booking, it was, it was just me and it was just me plus like, M as a sounding board and big picture stuff, but like the booking and the emailing and the promoting and the social media, like I was running all that stuff by myself for like a year and a half while I was like working at federal donuts, <laughs> <laughs> like 40 to 45 hours a week. So I was doing it. Uh, I was, I was running things for the most part by myself when we were focusing on the booking. And uh, last year was the first year that I ever attempted South by and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I was like just so determined and just wanted basically every band that I was working with at the time. I was like, who wants to go to Austin? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. But I'm booking seven tours for bands all from the Northeast to go to Austin and back in the same like three week window, four week window. Um, is very challenging and basically you have to you have to route it very strategically so you don't have anyone of your shows competing with each other like on the same night um so basically like on a map the routing it looked like an onion it was just like (laughs) big circles uh there's like an inner circle and an outer circle like the bands who were like trying to do three weeks four weeks would like do the bigger route and like the bands that were just trying to like zip down zip back like like fire is motion was like we want to do it in 10 days and i'm like okay (laughs) (laughs) we'll figure it out they're like we'll drive we don't care how long we're gonna drive i'm like okay because like there was like that was like a six person crew or a seven person crew. Um, I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with that band, but, uh, they, they're like, uh, bit (laughs) is that they're a band with too many guitarists. Like they'll play a live (laughs) show with like five or six guitarists. You can Google it. Fires motion. Uh, they did like an MTV interview about it. Uh, last year. It was amazing. I love them. Shout out to Fires Motion. Love y'all. Um, yeah. But they were doing South by, they were doing the tour in like 10 days. So, like, they only had like, a, they were in Austin for like five of those days or something. So, like, that's an it was just tour. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but basically, everyone was working. You have like six or seven people all working part time jobs and temp jobs, and they can only take a certain amount of time off. And they're renting a van and they have saved up for that. And yeah. like, it's got to be as like 
as cost efficient as possible, especially when you're doing something like South by where none of those bands are getting paid in Austin. Those showcases don't pay the unofficial showcases. And most of the official ones, I believe don't have much of a budget. If any, one of the things that we like to preach here on our podcast is the importance of buying music from bands and supporting bands when you can, um, obviously not everyone has the financial means to do that. All they can do is stream on Spotify. That's fine. But like, if you can buying music from the bands directly is the best way to go. But now that bands can't tour and everyone's kind of stuck at home, everyone's hurting. What can people do to help support the musicians that they love? So I think the, the best way is for artists who have like their own merch stores and band camps for, uh, downloading music or merch, most of that money is going right to them. I think Bandcamp has like the most artist friendly uh, revenue shares yeah. out of like most of those platforms. Like streaming music is good in the sense that like it helps bands rack up plays on songs, and that is good when you're talking to like record labels and trying to show a band's growth. Like right now, like stream your favorite band's albums, like put them on your playlists. Like that helps them out because that gets added to the algorithm and they get picked up to other playlists. And unfortunately, like the Spotify stuff is like anything in the music industry, like radio was like the people who are at the top have the most play time, like the most time on there. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's those people have the relationships with the people who are curating the playlists. So they get first dibs basically. So the small band that you're seeing like at a basement show who is incredible, um, like isn't getting that same opportunity, you know? And even bands that we work with who do tour pretty regularly and, and do have people listening to their music. Like they don't get added to playlists that much either because a lot of us either are working independent without labels or we have smaller labels who aren't that, connected or aren't as connected as say like sony or atlantic or like any of the bigger labels that have content on there you know like the the ones that like really get me are like the like there's definitely been really good discovery music and stuff on that like i've had friends on that playlist um but like undercurrents like playlists like that i'm like these are not bands that like are hard to discover. These are bands that like everyone is listening to like shine some light on some bands that people aren't listening to, like actually listen to the music Mm -hmm. and see if it's good and make a playlist, make a mix, you know, like, and that's how we work at lost and found too, with like our touring stuff, you know, like we're packaging bands that we think people who are going to see the headlining band are going to be like, yeah, who's this other band that, like, I haven't heard of, but, like, because I love this other band, I now love this new band, and that band now is a new fan, you know? Like, that's the type of thing that's going to build a strong foundation for a band, is that word of mouth. Like, your your friend being obsessed with the new, like, adult mom record and telling their friend about it, and then they love the record, and then they go to the show, you know? Like, yeah, for sure. That's what it comes down to. And I think people are going to probably want to go to shows after this. So I sure hope so. I know um, I'm itching to go to a show. 
Yeah, I think we all are pretty bad. Honestly, like like I was saying with the the Instagram live gig, like I did not think that I would get like the same feelings that I did that at like when I would book a show and run a show and help out the touring bands, you know? Like I it felt like gig day when I woke up that day. I know none of us really know what the future holds at this point. We're all kind of taking things day by day. Uh, yeah. I've seen some uh, some articles pop up that's, you know, people are saying things like, you know, like concerts aren't coming back until 2021 at the earliest. And, you know, and that's really depressing to think about. So I try not to. But are you uh, and you obviously don't have to go into any, any specifics for things that aren't announced. But like, are you are you booking anything right now? Are you looking, you know, trying to put anything together for later this year? I mean, what's what's the climate like? Again, like, I don't want to like. <laughs> God. <laughs> I don't want to like just suck everyone's hopes out of the room, you know. Like it's it's tough. Um, we're not we're not working on anything right now um, because we're not sure. Um, right. Like I said, like we're kind of on pause. Um, we basically the the thing we were going to focus on was our bands that we have on fest this fall. Um, like a week ago, I felt pretty, or like two weeks ago, I felt pretty confident that Fest was far enough away that it would be unaffected by this. Um, and I don't know, every day that passes and every day that I read more news headlines, I feel worse and worse about the outcome yeah. and like how long it's really going to be affecting this. And um, the thing with those articles, that Stereo Gum article, saying late fall 2021 the point he's making is a very valid point which basically is when they do open the economy back up they're going to have to do it in waves they're going to have to open certain industries and certain businesses based on how much this very specific outbreak affects those businesses like person-to-person contact you know so like if a job can be safe following some sort of social distancing guidelines, they're going to try to reopen it. But with that being said, live touring is probably going to be one of the last things on that list because it's it's entertainment. It's not considered essential, even though all of us here feel so strongly that it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's, you know, I can see, I definitely see the argument for it, for it not being essential. Yeah. Um, and, and I totally get that. And it's a health concern. It is. And especially cause like either, you know, a, a, a live show is kind of the opposite of social distancing as much as it can be. <laughs> yeah, like, like, totally. There's no way to social distance at a show unless the show sucks. <laughs> yeah. That would be a nightmare. Like imagining like a grid of people like in a venue, like standing six feet apart, just like, cheering like from their little bubble like that's so weird <laughs> i was i was just about to say i've played that show but then you said cheering and i was like no wait, i haven't played that show but i've definitely played shows where people were like six feet apart because there just weren't any we that all many have, people we yeah. all have i, I have don't, don't want to play those shows I no, no one wants to play those shows no one wants to go to those shows that's i would play that show right now well yeah right now any, anything you know any Take port in the storm right at. but uh yeah no but I, yeah that's ultimately what it comes down to and like lost and found has always prioritized safety above all else and inclusivity and like there are people with like 
immunodeficiencies who like are affected way more strongly than other people. There are disabled folks that like people probably can't even like fathom how this is affecting them and like how scary it really is for them. So like when you see people who are like, I want to work, I want to go out to the bar. I want to like going out with my friends. It's like, no, fuck you. It's go not about home. you. Like exactly. It's not. And like people don't think about like things that don't affect them. Yeah. You know? Well, it's like I, I see people saying, like, oh, I don't want to wear a mask because I'm not that worried about getting it. Or, you know, that's you not know, if I, what if it's I get about. It, you know, I I probably won't die because I'm young and healthy. It's like that's the mask ignorant. isn't about you. The mask is to protect other people around you. You know, yeah. you could be a carrier, uh, an asymptomatic carrier, and you wouldn't even know. And the mask is not for you; it's for everyone else. And that the only way we're gonna get through this is if we all help each other. And I guess yeah, I could rant about that it. for hours, but I'm not going to because this is not a COVID nineteen podcast. But, uh, <laughs> but good lord, yeah. those people make me angry. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's very frustrating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like you. I'm, I'm sure y'all have had to get groceries at some point in yep. the last two weeks. Like how many people do you see out in public who are not taking this seriously? You know, like most exactly. Of them. Yeah. Every day, like every single day, I feel like most of the people I see are not. Um, and that's the issue. That's yeah. why it's going to drag out longer. And if people can't be trusted to be responsible now, at the peak of the outbreak, at the surge of the outbreak, when we're not even doing widespread testing yet and don't actually even know how bad it really is, you have people being that reckless, let alone trusting people to walk into a concert venue mm-hmm. and like keep their distance. Like, no way, you know? And yeah. like, I wouldn't feel comfortable booking that show. No. So I'm not going to. And I would never put any of my artists or any of the audience members in an unsafe or uncomfortable position. Never. So yeah, we're waiting. That's why we haven't booked anything. That's why we don't have anything on sale. That's why anything that we were working on, we hadn't announced because we were being cautious about it because how the hell are you supposed to know if it's going to be safe? Yeah. You know, and it sucks. And no one, no one wants to accept that because we're human. Yeah. And we want to look forward to experiencing our favorite music live with our friends because there is no greater feeling than that on earth for a lot of us, you know? So, like, of course we want to hope that those shows are happening and want to see those things being announced. But, like, until we all get the messaging together and unite and be like, yo, no, stay home and let's squash this thing and then we can talk about how to move forward and announce things because until all of us stay inside and self quarantine and do everything we possibly can to just take care of this, it's going to, it's just going to be longer and longer, you know, like we can't be, we can't be selfish in this moment. We can't be like, just sad that like we can be sad be sad by all means i'm mm-hmm. sad all the time um like you gotta be able to let yourself feel it but ultimately like you can't let the feeling of wanting to do a thing get in the way of the bigger picture and the bigger picture is like just looking out for each other yeah as absolutely. humans you know uh why don't we take a break we'll hear from our sponsors this week and when we come back uh jeremy you have picked an album that means a lot to you that we're going to talk about 
Heck yeah. So uh, stay tuned. We eat alone. Me and Dad. He microwaves whatever's in the fridge from yesterday. And I feel alone with mom upstairs. The tension fills my stomach up and I am stuck in my head. I don't care, I say, in the basement I play video games to clear my head. It's not fair, I think, but it's what I have to sing, to sing. It's not ideal. Hello, I'm Casey Ryan. And I'm Todd Panic. Join us on the Superpod HeroCast as we drink beers and talk about movies with capes. Superhero movies. The good, the bad, the mutants? Sure, let's go with that. From Batman the movie to the latest blockbuster. Great movie? Sweet. We'll tell you why. Absolute bomb. We're going to watch it anyways. And our misery is your entertainment. Get the latest episode, grab your cape, and join us on the Superpod HeroCast as we save the universe. One superhero movie at a time.
You're still listening to Left of the Dial. I'm still your host, Kitsy, and Caleb, I'm pretty sure, is still unfuckwithable. That's that's correct. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you checked in on that. I was curious. We we always have to check in just to make sure. <laughs> it's important to make sure that I've maintained my status through the break. Anyway, Jeremy, you are still with us as well. Hello. You picked a record this week that means a lot to you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, the song we just heard and this and this record as a whole and why it means so much to you? Yeah. Uh, so I chose uh, the photo album by Death Cab for Cutie. Uh, this album is just, it's one of my favorite favorite albums of all time. Death Cab is my favorite band of all time. And nice. my favorite Death Cab album definitely cycles. It changes pretty often. Um I don't think not pretty often, honestly, like I think it just depends on like where I'm at and what I'm going through and what's resonating with me Absolutely. at that point in my life. You know, like I remember like, uh, God, I love this band so much. I remember <laughs> like when I was like trying to do New York cause I, I graduated college in 2016 uh, in June and I was working full time by July. So I only had like a month overlap. So my folks live in North Jersey. Um, so I just like commuted to New York. It was like an hour, 45 minutes each way on a good day. That's soul sucking right there. It was awful. And, and the job was soul sucking. So (laughs) it was just like a lot of soul sucking. I was very sad. I, I couldn't deal with the commute anymore. I was like losing it after like four months of working there. And uh, because also like the hours were, they were a little different than a typical job. They weren't like nine to five because my boss was on the uh, West coast Mm. um, and he worked Mm. like remotely. So he was three hours behind. So like Mm -hmm. my hours were like 11 to seven or 11 to eight because that was like his 8am, you know? And then also uh, we would have to go to a lot of shows uh, after work. So I would like get home at like 11 sometimes, or like, usually if we did a show, I would find someone's like couch to crash on, you know, but I was like, I I need to get an apartment. And like, I was listening to transatlanticism so much when I was like apartment hunting and like taking the train after work, like by myself to like, like 40 minutes into Brooklyn to like, look at a dump like a, a terrible little closet apartment in Bushwick. Like it was rough, but right now I'm definitely vibing the photo album. Um, it's been like, as I've been like kind of piecing together what the Shea LP is going to look like, I've kind of been like taking a lot of this album as inspiration. I might end up tracking the drums on this. I haven't really decided yet, but uh, just because, like, drums are my primary. Mm-hmm. I've been playing drums since I was, like, five years old. Right on. Um, and I picked up guitar in college. Um, but a lot of the drum grooves on this album are just, like, <laughs> they're just, like, fucking so phenomenal. Um, and so just, like, they're just, like, innovative. They're different. They're not, like, every indie rock album. Like, he like Jason McGurr is like trying to do different shit on this album. And it's like very clear. Um, so that coupled with like the lyrical content, which is always fucking amazing when it's Ben Gibbard. And then uh, also the thing that really gets me as a whole on this album is um, the melodic elements. Um, when Ben's not singing, there's a lot of like walk downs uh, with like, 
key leads and synth leads and like piano parts that like it just it it's just so beautiful honestly i'm obsessed with this band and this album there's just there's so many layers to it it's yeah. just endless one of the things that will always stand out to me and i'm pretty sure it is this song it could be another one on the record but i always remember it being this one was from when i had this on compact disc uh, mm-hmm. and was reading the liner notes uh Every song, they like each instrument was credited individually, and this was when Walla was still in the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember them crediting uh, separately. Uh, I think it was uh, Ben Gibbard, nice guitar, Chris Walla, snotty guitar. And I just remember <laughs> those descriptions as nice and snotty. I love it. <laughs> yeah, actually. That makes sense. <laughs> That's probably how they just described it in the studio, and they're just like, "Yeah, print that shit." Like, yeah. we gotta get that snotty tone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like when you're when you have that like wild producer language, where like no one out of the room would have a clue what you're talking about, but everyone in the room yep. knows exactly what you mean. <laughs> it's so good. But I love yeah, those moments. That song just blows me away. Blacking out the friction is so good. Um, I feel like. A reason why I resonate with like with Ben's writing so much is because like I always when I was younger, like Shay is a new project that I like intentionally started last year at 24. And the last band I was like in where I was like the the songwriter and the the front person, uh, I was in college. So there had been like a big gap there and a lot of experiences that were had that like completely changed my view of the world. And like the subject matter I was writing about in school now means nothing to me. Most of it. Like I don't relate to that person and that voice. And like, I wouldn't write songs like that now. Um, And the overall thing being, I, was a hopeless romantic and I fell in love with everyone, even if it was just like a tiny little crush and would feel devastated when they wouldn't feel the same way. And like a lot of that I think is like deep rooted misogyny that I like had or like toxic masculinity and misogyny that I like had unpacked over the last few years, but um, didn't even know existed when I like got to college and was like developing crushes on people. Yeah. I feel like this earlier stuff, a lot of it is like, uh, it, like this song specifically, it seems like it's about a partner who decided to move away somewhere else. That was like, like in this situation, knowing that they're from the Pacific Northwest, my assumption is that they're like moving to the East coast or something, um, or like moving down South to like California or LA. I would I assume it's pretty common. LA? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was just uh yeah. Uh he he's very adamant about not liking LA, <laughs> which we could talk about later. <laughs> right there with him. Yeah. I feel like LA is the West Coast of New York, and I agree on that front. <laughs> um, but yeah, like he was just kind of like upset that this person was like leaving him behind, you know? And I feel like that resonated with me because I felt like that was kind of the position I was in a lot of the time. Like I would fall for someone and they wouldn't see me that way. And then I would have to cope with dealing with that or like resolving that on my own. And they like, weren't even thinking about it, you know? So, um, yeah. And I like in the song that he touches on like 
like the line where he says, I think that it's brainless to assume that making changes to your windows view will give a new perspective, basically being like, you can't just like move somewhere and it's going to change everything, you know, like you got to like have that experience and work through that stuff. You know, you can't just be like, Oh, I'm going to move somewhere and meet all new people. And like, they'll love me for who I am. And like, it's just going to work out that way. It's like, no, you got to like, you got to grow as a person and like do that work. You know, yeah, I can, that's I true. can speak from personal experience of that. That's does not work. Cause I tried that for about 15 years and it just didn't work. <laughs> I'll just move to Philly and start a band, you know? Yeah, No, that like, was me. What like could possibly I'll, go wrong. I'll move to Chicago and start a band. I'll move to Boston and start a band. I'll move back to Chicago and start a band. None of these bands ever started. Oh, <laughs> I'll move to Sydney. Everything will be different in Sydney. Nope. I actually, um, I like that you point out how like it, it feels like the song is kind of you know saying goodbye to to someone. Uh, I uh, got into this band like just before meeting, but like uh, like really kind of grew to love them while dating one of my first like serious uh, relationships, and uh, we broke up uh, shortly after this record came out, and so this was a a, a big. Uh, connection to that time of my life for me and so like i still like every now and then still mm-hmm. feel that um i know we didn't uh, specifically call it to talk about it but uh we laugh indoors
that refrain of, you know, I loved you, Guinevere, I loved you. Uh, just from, over and over and over, over again. Over and over again. Yeah. yeah. And it, like, it, it resonated with me at the time because Guinevere is like an ancient uh, variation on the same root as Jennifer, and her name was Jennifer. And I'm like, oh. oh that's great. <laughs> While I do love that section, like, okay, no, I'm not even going to say that because I love that song, but mm-hmm. I, I didn't pick it because there's other songs that I, I wanted to talk about more. But that breakdown, like, and into that like drum part with the guitar breakdown where like yeah. they do that leap. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like, that's it's, so good. like that's some of the most impressive playing I've ever heard. Like it's unreal. The harmonics that they do on that are just like, yeah. perfect. Yeah. It's stupid. It's like so stupid. I listen to that and I'm like, whatever. Get out of here. <laughs> like <laughs> album came out like almost 10 years ago. I'm still like what are you doing? I actually, uh, I challenged myself with this one to, uh, like, I, I did, I re-listened to it, of course, to get it fresh in my mind, but I mm-hmm. I refused to take any written notes on this uh, because I love this record so much. And I Hell to, yeah! I wanted to believe that I, I know it well enough to talk about completely off the cuff. And uh, so far, I'm feeling very confident. Yo, I'm really glad that it's a rec- that I chose a record that you also like really loved. Uh, and I will also say, I did not take any notes. And as I said, my only preparation was pasting the lyrics. So uh, I'm with you. I love this album so much. <laughs> so I have a confession. It's really okay. I have, today is the first time I've heard this album. That's okay. Right you should on. sit with it. I no, you know what? I really enjoyed. It. I listened to it about five times today. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I was, I was, uh, like I said, I bought, I bought a house, and I was over there doing right. some work, and so I just kind of had it on repeat while I was working, just so I could kind of totally. absorb it. Um, I really enjoyed it, but uh, the reason I I hadn't heard it until now is this album came out when I was sixteen, and when I was sixteen, uh, I had, um, I had two problems with music. Uh, that I'm really glad I got over both of them. And the, the first one is that um, I refused to listen to anything that wasn't punk enough. Fair. Uh, so, like, there was a, a like, couple years where, like, I only listened to, like, six bands, and, like, three of those bands were rancid, and the other three were anti-flag. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, that was that was me as a teenager, right? Like, I was mm-hmm. like, every, this, you know, the Dropkick Murphy is, like, the only band I liked. You wouldn't be caught dead listening to Death Cab for Cutie. You would no. got beat up. No, I wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't have gotten beat up, because no one else would have cared, but I would have felt like a fucking poser or You would have got beat up by yourself. Yeah, I would have beat myself up, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, like 16-year-old me as would look do. at the stuff I listen to now and be like, what the fuck happened to you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, but sixteen year old me was a fucking idiot. Uh, <laughs> and the other problem I, I had w- is that if someone I didn't like was into a band, then I fucking hated that band without even listening to them. <gasps> and so <laughs> this there. this band was um, this band was was both of those things for me because it wasn't you know I, it wasn't punk enough because it wasn't rancid and it wasn't anti flag. It's and not punk at all. That's not punk at all. No, it's not even a little bit punk. <laughs> and uh, and then it had uh, there were there were people in my local scene in, in central Pennsylvania growing up that uh, you know were into more st- stuff like this, and I hated all those fucking people because mm-hmm. I thought they were wrong mm-hmm. about the stuff they listened to, and it was all terrible. And so it just, <laughs> they were into this band, so fuck this band. I'm never listening to them, and I never did. And 
um and yeah and that's and that's unfortunate i mean at the time i would listen to this and been like this fucking sucks i hate it um so i'm glad I, I i waited till now to listen to it where i can actually appreciate it for the first time yeah i'm glad um, you liked it yeah no I, I i love it it's it's a great record i will definitely listen to to it more and i will definitely listen to their other stuff as well but yeah this was i you know today uh april 16th <laughs> it is april right yeah yeah time is weird <laughs> who cares april 16th 2020 uh is is the the first day i listened to this record and uh yeah it was it was good i really enjoyed it it's a bye <laughs> yeah yeah i um i've always been a sad fuck into pop so like this was right <laughs> <up my alley. laughs> oh hell there's yeah one right, thing you love right it's, from- it's it's sad fuck pop and if there's two yep. things you love it's sad fuck pop and alt country yeah. <laughs> well, Shay is Accurate. probably going to end up being like alt country mixed with like indie rock emo. So hopefully, I'm uh, listening. Caleb's already yeah. bought it. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's already playing the, the demos later. <laughs> Shut up and take my money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Goddamn. Yeah. Great song. Great band. Um, do you want to? go to the next song yeah let's go to the next song what okay. else you got for us keep it um, let's listen to a movie script ending
How do you listen to a movie script ending by Death Cab for Cutie and not be like, well, that was a perfect song? Like, that's how I feel every time I hear it. <laughs> that's fair. I did a lot of driving at this point in my life, and Ugh. I related so much to this song uh, just in, like, not like the the words and the emotion and the patterns of it, uh, mm-hmm. and like moments like the uh, passing through unconscious states when I awoke as on the highway. Oh my uh, god! There are many reasons why I don't drive anymore, but that's one of them because I would have those moments <laughs> where like it would just like zone out completely and then like come to my senses and realize like I was like several miles from where I last remember being. <laughs> yeah. That I did that that happened to me one time, like that I vividly remember like drifting off for a sec. That shit's scary. Like yeah. that's dangerous. But yeah, I feel you. When that like every time it gets to that chorus right after that, uh, when it's like I, I was on the highway and it just like mm-hmm. drops to like the highway. It's just like so it's yeah. so good and so simple and so like tight and like you especially hear it on that last chorus it's like building up to that there's so much noise and there's so many layers of sound happening and then it just drops just to that and it's like it just sits so perfectly love it there's uh this whole record has what i would describe as like a quiet intensity to it where like mm-hmm. uh there there are no like really huge songs there are some that are more upbeat and snotty uh than others but <laughs> like for, for the most part it's like it's a very chill but like mm-hmm. still very intense record and this song really uh like it has that in buckets full and there's yeah. this fantastic moment where like we, we talk a, a bit about uh, in, in past episodes about how like a dynamic shift can make uh, a chorus seem huge, even mm-hmm. if it's not necessarily larger than you know, the rest of the song. There's something about the way that they come in for the, the second verse where like, I think it's really like the only addition might be uh, the bass or m- might be like one additional guitar line or something so, like this. No, just so enough- actually in the, the second verse has a ton of extra shit. There's like an organ that sits on top too. Yeah. Um, and also the, the drum pattern, uh, he brings the snare drum in because the first, yes, the, the yes. first, uh, and also this is, I was literally just about to say why this writing is also so inspirational for me because I, I, find that so important especially when writing a drum part for a song to like pace yourself and not go too big too soon or go big at the beginning and then break it down and build it up and like i learned that from uh jake ewald from slaughter beach dog i was like tracking drums for uh some older projects and like he was the first person that really got me to start thinking about parts that way instead of just playing like what I know and trying to do like cool fills, you know, like just really like, all right, like what's the main like groove going to be? Like, how can I like make this verse different from that verse and add something that wasn't there last time to kind of keep like, it's just like Easter egg after Easter egg. Like you listen with headphones and you hear a different thing every time you listen to it, you know, like, yeah. But the first verse he plays it with like the snare off I believe yep, you're exactly um, right. And then he pulls it on and it has that a little bit more intensity, a little bit extra texture, but it's subtle. There's um, just like just enough of a dynamic shift that like, 
it just feels like this huge moment where he's singing, mm-hmm. you know, as if saved from the gallows. And it's this like mm-hmm. suddenly huge line yeah. where like, he, he's not necessarily singing any louder or more intensely mm-hmm. uh, on that part, but the whole thing comes in that much stronger. Totally. That organ really supports that too. It's like, I hear it every time. It's just like a little hum. It's like so nice. Oh, it just fills it out. It's so this- beautiful. Um, I, I try to, uh, to refrain from saying this because it can change so much, but I feel like this is like one of my favorite songs of the last couple decades. Uh, and it's moments like that. Uh, and it's, uh, these, oh, where's, there's a, a line from this. Nah, I don't remember. Uh, okay. but yeah, like the, the, the lyric <laughs> writing. I you know actually I, I I know what I was thinking of I I've, I've gone off in multiple directions in my brain but I was thinking of that whole like you know the the passing through unconscious states when I woke I was on the highway like these lines that like stick with me and like mm-hmm. it's just it's a really well written song and mm-hmm. like it has these fantastic dynamic shifts in it that like bring mm-hmm. that intensity uh, and it's just it's always stuck with me it's so like unbelievably intentional. And mm-hmm. intricate, you know, like mm-hmm. all of those moments that stick with you, like were perfectly laid out, you know, like it's just, and, and that's what I think makes such a good song and allows you to get to a place where you're saying something like that bold. Like, yeah, like one of my favorite songs of the de- last decade. It's like, yeah, it's just that good. And like when you really um, just, let the song speak for itself let that chorus just be open and let it just let that drum groove like sit in the pocket like yeah that's all you have to do and i feel like a lot of not that people aren't releasing amazing music right now but like in 20 like compared to this in 2001 versus like music that comes out in 2019 2020 like there's so many levels layers of like production and stuff and overdubs and like so many like like you listen to an album like this and it's it's just it is what it is you know like they got a new studio and they just fucking rocked it because like yeah. they they worked tirelessly on it from what it sounds like you know like i love i love the story behind this song too because he he talks about how like he he did go to LA for like for a person for love, uh, mm-hmm. and like obviously that didn't work out. Uh, hence, we get this really beautifully written record. Uh, but he also has this uh, moment of realization, and like, yeah, there were some good things about this, but like, it's it's not for me. Like, it's dirty, mm-hmm. it's crowded. Like, you know, he talks later on. Like, I I don't I don't understand why you'd live here. Oh, I have uh, that and, on this <laughs> list as well. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and like you know, on, on the shop fronts on Holly are dirty words, asterisks in for the vowels. Uh, we peered through their windows, new, uh, new bottoms on bar stool, on bar stools, but the people remain the same with prices inflating. All of the like, like it just like kind of seeing like the grimy grittiness of the city, yeah. and, like coming from you know the Pacific Northwest and like from the <clears throat> Seattle area. Uh, that's a big change uh, yeah. to go from Seattle to LA. Uh, and to try to make it work when like that wasn't your dream to be there, and so like totally. it's it's really like it's fascinating to me how that kind of big life change more so than just the breakup itself, but like this like total shift in lifestyle mm-hmm. uh, really drives this record. 
Should we just hit play on that song? Let's Since do we're it. talking about Go it, okay, it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Los Angeles today. It smells like an airport runway. Jet fuel stenches in the cabin and lights flickering behind. I'm in Los Angeles today. Garbage cans comprise the medians of freeways always creeping even when the population's sleeping There's like a really staccato, almost like syncopated rhythm to the guitar, like the, the rhythm guitar and drums, and then mm-hmm. this like gentle like lead floating over the top of it, and it weaves yeah. in and out so nicely. It's phenomenal. They, they do a lot of like arpeggiated chords like through the record that I am obsessed with, and I, I do a lot of that in my writing as well. Like I'll break down the chords like that. Um, and I think it's cool that they just like toss it on top of different sections. Like that, that one that like almost follows, follows the melody of, I can't see why you'd want to live here where Mm -hmm. like, but, but it's just different enough. And it's like, 
it's so impressive, like, what they ended up writing there. I'm just like, it, it blows me away. It's very good. Very good. <laughs> I can say from uh, from listening to this song, I feel like Ben Gibbard's first impression of uh, Los Angeles was very similar to mine. Now, mind you, this was a very long time ago, and I would very much like to go back and see it with different eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my first impression was driving in from the mountains and just seeing, like, the air is brown here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you can you can see the air here and it's not it's not pretty. <laughs> yeah. No. It's like it's pretty tough to like you ever just look around at this like planet we're inhabiting and like this country we've li- like it's pretty bad. Like yeah. we, we we haven't taken yeah. care of it and it's very sad. And for a lot of us it's just like what we've been given, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, uh, yeah, like especially you especially see it in the cities, and mm-hmm. like I feel very similarly about New York, um, and that's why this song reson- resonates with me. Like I grew up in like uh, a suburb of New York, like forty five minutes away, in like uh, just like a small town, and it was like it was like a pretty big commuter town. Like lived on a lot of highways, so like folks would like live there but like drive 20 minutes to work or drive to the city for work and like you're not in it and like it's a different it's a different vibe in the city and like he really Mm -hmm. draws like i think like one of the biggest things in ben gibbard's writing is like the imagery is always so vivid like he's very much trying to place you in his shoes in the experience of what he was seeing and like he tells you what people were wearing next to him and like what the weather is like. And like, I think that's pretty common in a lot of songwriting, but like he does it so consistently and like, so just like in all his albums, like he's always just painting that picture. And like, especially with this, he really does a good job there. And like that one section towards the end, always gets me um when he says uh the greyhounds keep coming dumping locusts into the street until the gutters overflow and los angeles thinks i might explode someday soon Mm -hmm. and i'm like yeah like you just think about how many people just get fucking dropped or like are visiting or tourists like when i worked in new york our office was like 50th and 7th so like we were, I don't know how familiar y'all are with New York, but like we were right at the, the northernmost part of Times Square. Like, yeah, okay. You would take, a, like, I would walk out of the building, hang a right, and like would be looking on Times Square. So, like, on a work day, Friday night, like I would get out at like 7 p.m. in Times Square. And, like, have to walk to the fucking, like, train. And it was a nightmare. There's just, like, Mm -hmm. so many people and way too many people for the amount of space that you're inhabiting. And especially you feel it in places like L.A. and New York when you're, like, taking the public transit and you feel like a fucking rat in the tunnels, you know? (laughs) It's like, uh, you ever take take the L during rush hour? Like, you're fucking sardines in a can. It's it's a nightmare. And you just, people just deal with it because... That's where so many of the jobs are. And it's like, yep. you're literally, like, especially with the pandemic now, can you imagine fucking, like, oh God. a subway car like that? Like, and that's how nope. everyone gets to work. Like, yeah. it's insane. Um, not to, like, dwell on that again, 
<laughs> talking about that. Um, but yeah, it no, all comes like, back around. Talks about how like dirty the city is, and like he does have that line too, where he asks about the air quality, and he's like, I asked the gas station employee if he ever had trouble breathing, and he's like, it varies from season to season, and like our first you my first us s tour full us tour where we like made it to the west coast we played uh in berkeley or in oakland at mm. gilman 924 gilman yep. um and like uh we went to like the grocery store and there were wildfires and we had never been out that far and like the employees at the grocery store who were working outside like were wearing like big gas masks and we're just like, oh my god! And like, we had a ton of uh, awful wildfires this year before all the COVID nineteen stuff too. And like, yeah. um, Australia was a fucking nightmare. And like, I think Kitsy, you know, I'm friends with like Camp Cope, so that was like fucking insane. Like, yeah. those folks were like living there; their whole country was like in flames. It was insane. Um, but yeah, yeah. I had a lot of friends over there because I actually lived in Sydney for like a year. And oh right, yeah, you said Sydney earlier. Yeah, it, it's it was terrifying. Are they still on fire? I don't even know. Like, I I, I have no idea. Yeah, uh, we don't because now it's COVID nineteen and no one gives a shit about Australia anymore. Yeah, it's like it's unbelievable. For all I know, I it's, asked, it's still on fire. Yeah, I asked a coworker in Melbourne and he said that it's uh, calmed down quite a bit. Oh, that's, that's good to hear. Yeah, they're past that se- part of the season now, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was bad though. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, this, this song is great, too. Uh, I I also really, I will say, I really like the, the line uh, about the actors' houses, like the celebrity houses. <laughs> He's like, they're never current, like, save your 15 bucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so cheeky. Like, <laughs> I also love that this was um, before digital photography really took over, so he specifically totally. calls out, film. save your film yeah. and $15. <laughs> Uh, it reminds me in New York. I feel like I, I would always, especially being in Times Square, I would always walk past like the long, long lines of people like doing the double decker bus tours to like, mm-hmm. I'm like, what are you like? Just walk around. Like <laughs> you're like going to see it all anyways. Like, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, but I guess people like, like I, I'm just like, I grew up an hour away. So it, yeah. for me, it was not like this big, uh, thing and like people who uh like when i toured with camp cope we talked about that it was like when they first came here they were like oh my god i can't wait to like see america and like go to new york and like see all these things and then they came here and they're like oh (laughs) (laughs) they're like take me home like (laughs) uh no they they love it here they call philly their second home but yeah no generally like I don't know. It's not too uh, nice to look at when you're driving through it for six weeks. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> especially because so much of it is just nothing. Yeah. Especially like when we were doing like the haul from like Boise, Idaho to like Colorado. Oh, it's just, it's just nothing. And, nothing. and that's, that's where it gets even harder. Cause it's uh uh, there's just nothing good to eat too. Like, yeah. uh, they have a lot of dietary restrictions and like, we would go to whole foods a lot. Um, cause like we had, uh, vegan folks and like gluten free. Yeah. Um, and like we literally would go, we would have days where it would be very difficult for me to find them food. 
like that they could eat. Yeah. And uh, also, like, all of our food is uh, very sugary in content compared to some stuff in Australia. Definitely. And, like, Tamo would always, uh, she would, like, get a sandwich and she'd be like, all right, let's see how it is today. And, like, she would take a bite <laughs> and be like, no, this bread's too sweet. And then, like, throw it away and oh, then no. just not eat. And I'm like, dude, you got to eat something because she would get grumpy. Um, but we just get her some food and give her uh, her shows, and she's happy. Um. <laughs> but uh, well, that's, that's definitely a thing. Like we have so much sugar in our bread. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> like practically cake to to people who aren't from here. Do you want to do this last track and then call let's, it a day? Let's do this last track and call it a day. It was really nice to talk to y'all. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah thank you for coming. Same. Yeah, this is fun. We'll, we'll have to have you back on when uh, when the first uh, Shea full length comes out, and we'll have to talk about that. Yeah, that would be great. I would love to. We would love that as well. Heck yeah. Yeah, I really love, uh, while we were listening to it, I was talking about it, but I really love uh, when he stops singing, um, I think it's like, I don't remember exactly what section it is, but it like opens up and it's like, uh, it's just like this, keyboard or organ lead that just like walks down it like walks the melody and it's just so airy you know what i'm talking about yeah Yeah, i think it's right after that first like uh verse section uh where he says Mm -hmm. getting colder with every step i took to your apartment dear oh yeah Uh, yeah, yeah. like that break in between there before it picks back up with uh, i was a kaleidoscope it's so good it really is. <laughs> yeah, and then the other the other lyrical thing that like really jumped out at me when we were just listening through now um, was that the section where he says, uh, "This is when I forget to breathe. All the things I scripted, they sound unfounded, and the look that you're giving me, it tells me exactly what you are thinking. This ain't working anymore." And it's like anyone who's like had that moment, like with a partner who like you want to say the thing that like both of you want to hear, you know, the comfortable thing, but like you've gotten to that point where it's just on your face, you know, it's like we both know, you know, Um, especially when you get that comfortable with a person, you know, it just like that just, I, I felt like, I don't know. It just kind of put, he does this thing where he, like you had described earlier with like sitting on the highway, like, he does this thing where he can just with a lyric that is to can like pertinent to his life will just like place me in a part of my past like that, you know, and I'll mm-hmm. just be right back in that moment, like feeling that exact thing that he's talking about. And I yep. feel like that's why so many people like love this band, you know, it's like when you can get that, when you can just like, from your own experiences, just tell it in a way where people are like, yeah, fuck. No, I know. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been in that moment. You know, it's just that simple. Like, I feel like that's why it's so good. I accidentally went down a little bit of a rabbit hole as we were listening to this. I was looking at, uh, uh, at, uh, Chris Walla's, uh, profile on, on genius.com. And, uh, and I started looking at some of the other things that he's been credited on and realized that he did some production work on at least one track by Now Now. Uh, oh, hell yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, that's awesome. <laughs> Is it, like, does it say which record or like if it was newer or older stuff? 
Uh, it's the track Yours, which was on Saved. Word. Yeah. That band's sick. <laughs> I really love so that good. song, uh, Dead Oaks, mm-hmm. by Now Now. It's like it's literally like a minute, 20 seconds or something, but it's just like, it's so perfect. Like, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, Saved is going to have to go on a future uh, episode. Yeah, that's a good one. I look forward to that episode. (laughs) (laughs) I think you'll dig it. I really do. Any final notes on uh, Death Cabs, I Was a Kaleidoscope, or uh, any other photo album tracks? (laughs) I I literally could start an entire podcast just about Death Cab for Cutie and do it for years, probably. You should. Word. Well, thanks for having me. It was really yeah. fun. Yeah, thanks, thanks so us. much for for coming on the podcast and talking about how you know the music industry is on fire at the moment. And <laughs> is it? <laughs> I mean, no, like in a bad way. Yeah, no, <laughs> much much like Australia was earlier. It's on uh, fire. Yeah, it's all tied together. It's all tied together. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, where can we find you on the internet? Um, so for the uh, for Lost and Found, uh, you. Can Go to our website, lostandfoundtouring.com to see all of our amazing artists um, and find the links to like their social media and their Spotify so you can follow what they're doing. Um, for my stuff, for Shay, uh, you can check us out on Bandcamp uh, at shayphl.bandcamp.com. That would probably be the best way right now just because like y'all know streaming revenues like such a small percentage yeah. but like honestly at this point i am just happy for anyone listening to it so like if that's what you're listening on because i i listen to spotify too like check it out there too um but yeah for like on streaming services you could just search like uh shay houston which is the first song that we listened to and you can find it there and that's uh s-h-a-y yes uh, Yes, and we'll put the links to all that in the uh, show notes as cool. well. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it, thanks yeah. so much for coming. Totally. Caleb, where can we find you? Oh, certainly. Well, if you want to find me on uh, social media where I'm ranting and raving these days, uh, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Caleb Micah. Uh, you can also check out our other uh, projects at uh, nightshiftradio.com. Uh, Left of the Dial being a Nightshift Radio production. You'll see information about uh, all four of our uh, current shows that we're running, uh, as well as some, uh, if, you, if you keep stay tuned, uh, some uh, interesting stuff coming in the future. But Kitsy, where can they find you? Oh, they shouldn't do that. <laughs> it's, it's dangerous in there. Uh, but if 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 you don't heed my warning and feel so inclined, uh, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram uh, as well at uh, Hey Kitsy. Hey Kitsy. Hey Caleb. Uh, you can find us at leftofthedial.fm where you can stream all of our episodes, uh, get show notes, get links to all of the records that we've talked about, all the bands that we've talked about in this episode and past episodes. Uh, you can find us on social media at Left of the Dial PC on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, the PC does stand for podcast, not personal computer. Uh, that that rumor has been spreading like wildfire, and I'm sick of it. It's podcast. <laughs> that's just that's what it is. I'm setting the record straight today. Never going to talk about it again. It's podcast, <laughs> not personal computer. <laughs> and that's the final word on that. Good. I'm glad um, we finally put that to rest. Glad we finally have addressed that. Finally. I'll be able to sleep tonight. I, I'm glad. 
<laughs> this has been Left of the Dial. I have been Kitsy. Caleb has been Koi. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next week. <laughs>